As we prepare to hear God's word, let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who governs all things in heaven and earth, mercifully hear our humble and earnest request of your people, who have call, who you have called to bring the light of Christ to all the nations. Let your face shine upon us, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As we consider God's word and we think about how God has called us and how he catches us and how he uses us to catch others, we can easily be reminded of the simple idea of what we say about catching people. You know, a husband says, I caught a good wife. A wife says, I caught a good man. Sometimes we find that the fish is a little more stinky than we thought. But the reality is that those small efforts that we've made to catch others, to be caught up in good relationships, God himself, in a perfect way, has called us. And he just doesn't call us for our own benefit. He has called us to be like himself and to call others to him. As we consider today's gospel reading together, I want us to consider and remember these themes. Jesus is the light. I want us to also remember that just as the Gentiles are not an afterthought in God's plan, you have been part of his plan from all eternity. And finally, that we have a call to be fishers of men. Let us hear our gospel passage one more time. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and of the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. As we hear God's word, we see that Jesus departs from Nazareth. We see that after the arrest of John, that Jesus withdraws from Judea and goes to the northernmost extremities of the land. 
the fact that the light dawns away from Judea is a message of condemnation to both the people and the king of Judea. Herod is king of darkness. And we know that Satan is behind him. Isaiah prophesied that the dawn would be in these mixed Gentile Jewish lands. We see that God's word tells us in verse 15 that there is both a light and a kingdom. And it reminds us that the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and it, think about what it says here, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan of Galilee to the Gentiles. There's all this going on here, and you're going to find when we come down, I'm going to add just a little bit more, uh, a little bit, few, a few more of the verses there at the end where you're going to see these very same words spoken of of where Jesus is and what he is doing. But it's interesting that it's saying that they were, had, had been sitting in darkness. You ever look around the world today and say that there are so many that are sitting in darkness? But they have seen a great light. And it says that they were in that region and that it was the shadow of death was on them. That the shadow of death, that darkness. I think, again, as we consider what happened in the, in the preceding years here, where the, the fear of death, the shadow of death was upon so many. Outside of Jesus Christ, it's hopeless. But there is light found in Christ, and a light has dawned, it tells us in Isaiah chapter 9. What's the significance of Zebulun and Naphtali? We see in Judges chapter 1, in verse 30, that Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of their inheritance. In verse 33 of Judges chapter 1, we see that Naphtali didn't, did the same thing. They failed to drive out those who were in rebellion to God, wicked idolaters involved in all kinds of wicked unbelief and practices, they failed to do this. They did not complete the task to drive out those wicked idolaters from among them. And judgments are pronounced in the book of Isaiah on Judah and Israel. We see that hope, though, is always given. You know, our, our Old Testament reading today is from Isaiah chapter 9. We can see in the preceding chapters 7 and 8 that that judgment is being pronounced upon Israel and upon Judah. But it is never given without hope. Chapter 8 of Isaiah verse 17 says this, And I will wait on Yahweh who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Yahweh was hiding the blessings of his face. The kings and the people of Judah were, at the time of Isaiah and even at the time of Christ, in darkness. But there is hope of the God of redemption. Now, I think it's interesting where this hope is being spoken of, where the anticipation is, is being spoken of here in Isaiah chapter 8, that it says that Yahweh is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. 
Now, when we think about that, think about the blessing that you receive, the commissioning that you receive. What do we ask God to do? We ask that his face shine upon you. That's where the blessing is. That through the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on the cross, our sins are forgiven, and there's no longer that veil of relationship that comes up upon us and we have the face of God himself shining into our lives would it be odd in this congregation if we closed today and I didn't do that blessing or any blessing why because we desire we want to wait on God's face to shine and bring his blessings upon us We don't want to remain in our state of darkness. No, we too, we must hope in Jesus Christ because that is the only way for God's face and his blessings to shine upon us. It's interesting because it says this, there is the hope of God's redemption. And this is not hope as in like how we always use the word hope in our modern English when we say, you know, when we're little kids, I hope that I get ice cream for dinner tonight. Now, see, kids are laughing, right? We, we, we recognize that, that we're, that's a wishful expectation. And, man, if everything lined up and I got everything I wanted, I'd get ice cream for dinner instead of green beans and spinach, right? But it's not that kind of wishful thinking. No, this is a fact that it will happen. It is an absolute hope of the light. You know, when, when we consider this Isaiah passage, there's a couple of things there in verse 1. It says that nevertheless the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. This gloom. It's the only time that this word is used in, in the Old Testament. It is like this overshadowing darkness, this depressiveness. Okay, I don't know how many of you guys have ever been to a place in the world where the sun doesn't come up for a long time or it's so overcast that it's overcast for days and days and days. I remember one time in Minnesota, one winter, the sun didn't come out for like 21 days. It was overcast. That creates a gloom that kind of gets heavy after a few days and it goes on and on. But verse 2 tells us that those that have walked in this type of darkness, they've seen a great light. It's interesting because we go from they're, they're not distressed, it's kind of in this present tense, and then it moves to past tense. It says, who walked in the darkness have seen a great light, and upon them a light has shined. Even in the difficulties, even in the sufferings, even in the problems that you have every day, God's hope is there. His light has shined upon you. Now sometimes the sufferings and the difficulties and the stresses we have are for our discipline to call us back to repentance. But it is always about God being glorified in your life. There are some things we can't look at, we'll never see in this life 
an understanding of why we went through that difficult time or that sickness or this thing. We're like, I don't know how God's glorified in this, but he is. He is. But it also can cause us to repent. It's interesting because it says that our joy will be increased and therefore we can rejoice before God. And what is this light that shines? What is the, what is the promise here? You see, we, you know, we, we've heard that in Advent. We heard this passage in Isaiah just kind of briefly. But then if you keep going down in Isaiah chapter 9, you get down to verse 6, it's the proverbial, yeah, man, we've got God with us. For it says in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. What you think is oppressing you, that, that structure that's coming against you, it says that the promise of hope is that the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will perform this. This passage, if you look at it in its entirety, is telling us that hope and the light is going to dawn out in these very darkest of places where you think the darkness is, you expect the darkness to be, and it's going to work its way back through the work of Jesus Christ ascending to the throne of David and bringing justice and peace. And he will build his kingdom. Beginning out there. There are many in the time, in, in, at that time that Isaiah is prophesying in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali who are seeking darkness. And God sends discipline and judgment. 2 Kings chapter 15 tells us that God sends the Assyrians to discipline and invade Israel. And that the very first part of Israel that is brought under judgment in this way, who are carried off as captives, are from Zebulun and Naphtali. The light of the good news is brought to the Gentiles. These are the mixed multitudes to the far reaches of Israel to the very areas that were first brought out of Israel under the judgment of exile and the loss of the ability to draw near to God in his place of worship, the temple. You see, when you're taken into exile in this way, you can't go to the place where God's face is, where he dwells. You can't draw near. It's only in his good grace when he restores where he brings them back out of exile, that they are able to go to the house of the Lord. You know, why does God do these things? God promises that he will spurn Israel, prod them, drive them to jealousies. We see this promise in Deuteronomy chapter 32, beginning in verse 15. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat. You grew thick. You were obese. And then it says, then he forsook God who made him. 
we see that God says, listen, when I give you all these blessings, when I bring my light, when I bring my face and I shine it upon you, you're going to prosper. You're going to fall on yourself and say, I did all these things, and I'm going to hoard all of God's blessings for me. People of God, when I give this blessing to you, this is not just a blessing for you to say my cup is full. No, it is a blessing for you to be commissioned to take what God has given you and bless others. Don't, don't be a hoarder. Don't be Scrooge McDuck swimming around in the blessings of God. All for me, all for me. No. Don't do that. And it says that they forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. People of God, if we can be honest for just a moment, we too fall into this. We fall into the habit of dealing scornfully with the rock of our salvation. Do we not? We just say, oh, God will forgive me. I don't really need to build God's kingdom. I don't really need to do these things. I can take for granted all that God has done for me. Well, God has a response to that. It says with this, they provoked him, that is God, to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed the demons, not to God. Now we say, oh, that would never happen to me. Oh, really? You, how you spend your time? Are you spending your time ordering your life in a way that is honoring to God or honoring to other idols, other passions? things that God is not glorified in. And he says this, to new gods and new arrivals that your fathers did not fear, of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. And when the, the Lord saw it, he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them i will see what their end will be for they are a perverse generation children in whom is no faith they have provoked me to jealousy by what is not god they have moved me to anger by their foolish idols but i will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation i will move them to anger by a foolish nation people of God Jesus is the light of the world we see this very clearly in the gospel of John John 1 4 and him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness didn't comprehend it and in John 8 12 then Jesus spoke to them again saying I am the light of the world he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light and in John 12 46 I have come as the light to the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness and this light brings us to the ability to draw near and see the Father. We see this in John 14 where Jesus says in his conversation with his disciples, specifically here at this point speaking to Philip, and says that he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? The face of God among them is Jesus. 
and he is the light, and he is the one that reconciles us to the Father. We need to be very mindful of these things. We see here from this point where he talks about going and to these, these places outside of Jerusalem, outside of all of the places that you expect him to be. He goes up to the dark regions, to people who are compromised. But you see, what do they do? They hear Jesus' call to, to repentance. They heard John's call to repentance, and they repented. They repented. You see, the people in Jerusalem, they were all about themselves. We've got God's blessing. We run the temple. We've got all the power. And what did they do? And you see this throughout the entire Gospels. What are they doing? Figuring out every way to retain what God has given them for themselves and cut off everyone else. And what does Jesus do? Jesus goes to the region of Galilee to call his first disciples. Verse 18 of our gospel reading in chapter 4 of Matthew says, And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They, will, they immediately left their nets and followed him. This is very interesting. I'll remind you of what, what you've heard us talk about before, is that in the Old Testament we don't see fishermen. Not one prophet is a fisherman. They're all about the land. They, they, they are shepherds. They tend trees. They're farmers. They do all kinds of things, but they're not fishermen. Remember, people of God, that, that fish, the sea, represents the Gentile nations. So here God is saying, I'm going to go up to this mixed place where there are Samaritans and there are Gentiles and there are Jews, these mixed places, and I'm going to go and I'm going to go call fishermen and then I'm going to take them and I'm going to turn them into fishers of men. And it says that Jesus called them and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is really important. Typically what you would do if you were a person who was interested in the things of God and studying the things of God, you'd go around and you would check out all the rabbis that were out there. And you would listen and you'd say, okay, I really like this guy. Prefer him over this one. So I'm going to go and appeal to that rabbi to say, let me come to your school so that I can learn of you. That's not what's happening here. Jesus himself goes and he calls his disciples. He calls them out from what they're doing. This brings us great comfort because we can't choose God of ourselves. God calls us first. And he calls us to these things. And it says that Andrew and Peter, they immediately left and followed him. But it goes on to say in verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately, notice it amps up. It says, and he called them, and they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus calls. 
He calls them and says, you'll be fishers of men. And we see that Andrew and, and Peter, they leave their nets. Now we also see that, that they didn't leave their livelihoods completely, right? But we do see that they go back and they fish from time to time and they're doing different things. But, but they, they, they likely, you know, they had multiple boats, they had nets, they had a business going on, they left their, their children, they left their, their other family members, they left people that probably worked for them to, to run that business, and they went and they followed Jesus for a particular calling and dedication. But you see, James and John, they also left their father. And again, Jesus doesn't call them to neglect of their family. We see later on that Jesus is with Peter and goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house, right? She's ill. You guys remember that story from the scriptures? They're not neglecting, but they're called. And all of us are called to make God's calling in our life preeminent, following him above our family. I've seen it over and over again when families have made their family the top thing in their lives. And they order everything from the family. We don't neglect it. We don't neglect our responsibilities. But we follow God first. And our first family is the church. One commentator points out to us that the command and call of Jesus overwhelms even the highest of natural affections and demands. We see this in Mark chapter 10, beginning of verse 29. Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal. God promises that when you put him first and you lay everything else down, that he will bring blessings eternally to your family. If you think that making your family is, is more important than serving God, taking care of doing those things, you're, you're sacrificing them. You're putting them in a way to become your idol, your God. In, instead, what we do is we lay it down before God and say, I'm going to follow you. And God returns it to us and blesses us. We see all of these things, but I think it's important that we look at the next few verses where it says in verse 23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, and he was doing several things. He was teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and kinds of diseases among the people. And it says, and then his fame went throughout all Syria. So Jesus goes out away from the place that everyone expects him to be, the place if you're trying to be the one in power and to, to ascend to the kingship, and he goes out and he preaches the gospel, and he teaches in the synagogues, and he begins healing. Now, this is really important. It says that in Syria they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great multitudes followed him. And it says from where? From Galilee, from Decapolis. That's a, that's a ten-town metropolis area filled with people from all over the kingdom. 
That is to say, the Orchomene, the world of the Roman Empire, lived there. And it says that he healed them from Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea beyond the Jordan. Did we hear that? All these places and beyond the Jordan. Jesus is fulfilling all of God's plans that he laid out from the beginning. And it would include all the Gentiles as well as his people in Israel. Jesus' ministry is not just preaching and teaching, but he heals. It is important for us to realize that when we look at what Jesus heals, that all of these things that Jesus is healing are things that make people ceremoniously unclean and unable to draw near to God. Jesus calls for repentance of sin because the kingdom is near and judgment for those who do not draw near. But Jesus sets about removing all obstacles to draw near to God, to have God's face shine upon us, by Jesus' death, we are reconciled to God because the obstacle of our sin has been put on Jesus. And we have been clothed with his righteousness. People of God, if you're unsure of your calling here, let me remind you what it says in Romans 8.28. Because he does call us, not just the first apostles, not just the early church disciples, but he's called you and I and this church. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he may be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called, and whom he called, he also justified, and whom he justified, he also glorified. God calls you as an individual, and he calls us as the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, to the church of God which is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints with all, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. Ephesians 4, 4 tells us there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called. We are one body, one spirit, just as you were called. In one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. We don't get our call because we're so good. God didn't choose you because you were so righteous. No, he calls us, as God's word tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, it says, this is speaking of the Lord who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. People of God, this should be humbling to us. We didn't choose him. He chose us. Just as Jesus called the apostle, he calls us in humility to shine the light of the gospel. Hear this closing passage from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And this is applicable to us all here today. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and in to his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now 
have obtained mercy. Just like Andrew, Peter, James, and John, we have a call to be fishers of men. You have been part of his plan from all eternity to bring his light to the world that we may answer Jesus' call to be fishers of men. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for giving us this calling in your Son, for making us members of your family, and for bringing us into your kingdom so that we can live under your rule and know that you, as the great king, will preserve, protect, and provide for all we need. Thank you for the rest and peace that you have given us in the place of restlessness and fear. Thank you for all the joy that you have given us in place of the sorrows, disappointments, and miseries that sin brought upon us. Help us now to live faithfully with joy and gladness and to be able to show forth the light of Jesus in the world around us. Hear our prayers for Jesus' sake. Amen.